Hi, and welcome to the Faith That Does Justice podcast, the official podcast of campus ministry at John Carroll University. Join us this semester as we hang out with some of your favorite faculty and staff as we try to figure out what it means to live out a faith that does justice. I'm Kathleen Sardone, and I'm joined by my wonderful colleagues, John Scarano and Gerald Cisan. Gerald, how are you doing today? Hi, Kathleen. I'm really good. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to interview John. Mm-hmm. Me too. John, how about you? Well, I'm doing great. I'm ready for this. Let's get it going. <laughs> well, good. Um, John, that's why we're here. We're going to interview you. You're our director. You're a boss, but we're here. I'm the guinea pig. <laughs> tell me. <laughs> You're, we're here to hear your story. Um, and I think the, the long lost um, journey of John Scarano that we never really get to hear. So I think what a cool opening episode is what we were thinking about. So um, I wanted to chime in to just give you a little bit of the backstory of how this idea started and then what to expect. So, I mean, obviously life is different and um, COVID-19 has affected us all. And we had a semester, I think a successful successful semester virtually, but we're on uh, another semester going virtual. So we wanted to figure out another way a unique way to connect and um, the podcast idea came about so me and Kathleen were brainstorming and somehow <laughs> somewhere along the line we talked about Krista Tippett and I was like oh my gosh we have to start a podcast you know so then um, I just started to think about what it would be and maybe we were thinking maybe we can just interview faculty and staff and hear their stories right so I think that's why we're here today and um, we're excited to hear John's story. Um, but first, I think it'll be cool um, as like going forward, before we hear some of these stories, for our guest speaker to start with a prayer. Here in campus ministry, we always start with prayer and reflection. Um, so we will be asking our guest speakers to start with a prayer that summarizes or kind of symbolizes their spiritual journey. So John, take it away. That's a, that's a tall order. Um... <laughs> So I'm, I'm going to do a shameless plug. This is from our Manresa uh, prayer book. And this is page uh, 38. And, and uh, the prayer I chose uh, is called Patient Trust. It's by Tehard de Chardin, uh, a Jesuit priest who uh, was also a paleontologist. Um, here's the prayer. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it's the law of all progress that is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you be today what time, that is to say grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill, will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. 
Amen. Amen. So I think the reason I, I, I chose that prayer is um, the fact that Teilhard de Chardin was, was also a paleontologist uh, meant that he, he worked uh, over things that took thousands and thousands of years to form. He could find a dinosaur bone and take it back thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, and, and when you think of, of how God works in us, God works in us over a lifetime. Uh, it's not something that, okay, we, we accept the grace of God in our life right now. And so now I am forever and immediately and eternally different. I wish it were, <laughs> but the process of salvation, the process of maturation in our, in our sense of our own spiritual walk with God is a lifetime. It's a lifetime process. So that's why I chose it. That's so beautiful. Um, I feel like I, I too feel, uh, I don't know. I, you know, like when, when somebody that you respect talks about faith, it's so easy to forget that that's, that's God working through his or her entire lifetime, <laughs> you know? So I think there's like that element of frustration there. Like you want it now, especially with like Amazon one click buy, everything's so instant. Like you want it now. And then you feel like, you, like you're not working properly <laughs> if, if you don't have it now. So I think that that prayer is a, a good reminder for me. A phrase that stuck out to me was, um, I don't remember if I have this right, but it's, it said, uh, only God can say, was that the verbatim? Yeah. Only yeah. God can say what this will be. Um, so that, that kind of really struck me. I feel like <laughs> John and Kathleen and I were joking today that this was like the, the week of a no. And, uh, we have, uh, you know, we have, we have these different policies in play and these decisions that are, affecting the way that we do ministry um and it seems like we're getting a lot of no's so maybe that's why it struck me today but then again the image of of the good work taking you know like taking that broad view um is hopeful for me so yeah thanks for that yeah i love the unknown part it just like the whole thing so much of, um, especially the slow part and the unknown just seems to reflect so like succinctly where we are, right? When you, yeah. when you think you know something, <laughs> somebody tells you no, or, or it changes, you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah, and even the first line, trust in mm -hmm. the slow work of God, mm -hmm. that alone could be up on my bulletin board and I can look at it every doggone day, knowing that I need more of that. Mm -hmm. I need more trust in the slow work of god yeah amen to that <laughs> yeah yeah good all right so we want to get started with our first question um is inspired by krista tippett and her on being so um with that uh, john can you tell us a little bit about your spiritual background what was um your upbringing as a child what ground yeah. you know beginning? yeah so so uh, you know, I have to think back a really, 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 really long time, you guys. I'm, I'm a pretty old guy. You know, we're talking about 62 years of, of, uh, of development in my relationship with God. You know, in all honesty, my, my, um, I'm first-generation Italian. 
uh, and my mother is a, was a typical Italian uh, mother who was very devout. Uh, uh, I mean, very devout, you guys. So, so I used to be embarrassed to bring kids into my house because when you walked into our front door, you had a near life size crucified Jesus <laughs> hanging up on the way up the stairs. And then, of course, when you got to the top of the stairs, you had, you know, the little uh, uh, carved out uh, Marian shrine, a statue of Mary with a kneeler and every picture of our dead relative up on, uh, you know, at wow. her feet. Uh, you know, and I, I have memories of my mother, you know, uh, bringing all, I have, I have three other siblings and we're all 11 months apart from one another. So, uh, so four little kids surrounding her as she prayed the rosary, um, you know, and, and, and so I, I grew up with this sense of, um, of women in the church uh, being very, very close to God, close to Jesus, close to Mary. Uh, my father, though, was another story, like a typical Italian man. I mean, every so often he would come to mass but he would always find reasons not to. Um, mm -hmm. Most most of the time, it was uh, it was he went to work. He did. He was a surgeon. He he did his medical rounds on Sunday mornings. You know, uh, perfect coincidence, I would think. Uh, I, I can remember um, as a, as a young child, I was uh, uh, probably six, seven, eight years old. We moved back to Italy to live. And, uh, and in this little village where, where we lived, um, you know, everybody would walk to church on, on, on Sunday. And so uh, I'm, I won't forget the walking with my father uh, and his brothers and, and, uh, and his sisters. So my aunts and uncles and all, their, all my cousins, we would walk to the church that was in the center of town, little center square. And just before we walked up the steps to the to the actual church itself, all the men would veer to the side, hmm. and they would sit in an outdoor cafe. No way. And they would they would drink coffee while the women and the children were in church. <laughs> so, you know, as and I wondered why. You know, the only voices singing uh, uh, on Sunday mass in Italy were women. Um, and the, and the crazy thing is that when the priest would leave, uh, you know, after mass, you know, instead of standing at the door and greeting people and they would come out, he would process down the aisle and then he'd go and sit down with the men in the cafe, fully vested, just sitting down with the guys and having a coffee. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. So my idea of growing up in terms of my own sense of, of Catholicism was, I'm going to grow out of this, you know? I will, I will grow out of this, this sense of, um, you know, going to church and getting some, something out of it. You know, also as a kid, I, I was a kid when, when, when Vatican II was changing uh, the church. So I, I still have memories of being at mass and watching, uh, you know, the priest with his back to us and everybody around me, uh, all of the women, praying the rosary. They, they couldn't care less what was going on up there. They're, so I thought, you know, the, the proper stance of a Catholic is to finger these beads and move your mouth yep. while the priest was saying mass. So it's, it was an interesting experience, uh, you know, that I had a, as, as, a, as a young man. Um, as I grew, uh, you know, 
I, I, um, I was, uh, uh, as, a, as, as a young man before, before I went through, you know, puberty, I would say, uh, I, I was gifted uh, with, with, a, with a really a wonderful voice, singing voice. And so uh, I moved up to the choir loft and I, and I sang for all the masses. Um, and, uh, and so that was my role. I no longer sat with family. So my connection to my faith was through music. Um, and then when I got too old to, to when, I, when I got old enough to know that that wasn't cool, I stopped doing it. Uh, and and uh, <clears throat> and I I uh, got confirmed, you know. I think uh, and and my confirmation was was in the. Um, I'm I'm messing up the time period here, but I was confirmed when I was in in uh, third grade, and my confirmation was in French and Latin, because we wow. were in Tupper Lake. We were in Tupper Lake, New York, uh, with a French order of nuns. So neither language. I didn't know either language. So for me, all I remember was, you know, um, all the words and the, the nice firm slap by the bishop, uh, which stayed with me for a while. What um, slap? What does that oh, mean? Oh, yeah. Well, because we were now adult soldiers of Christ. So so part of the symbol of, of strength was the good swift slap. And, you know, he tended to give some people nicer slap on the forehead. No, across the cheek. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Even so the you guys, girls? You grew up in a soft church. I'm just <laughs> <that right now. laughs> Yeah, everybody got the slap. <laughs> the girls yeah. got the slap. Everybody got the slap, you know. And some bishops were, you know, a nice touch. And some bishops went to town, uh, you know. So wow. At, at that point, you know, my memory was that my bishop went to town. Uh, but in, in, in any case, uh, you know, so I was I – was, already quote unquote sacramentalized. And so probably when I was about 12 or 13, um, I had no more, no more interest in going to, to mass, no more interest in going to church. Uh, my, my, my mother continued to drag me until I was too old and too big to get dragged. Um, and then, uh, and, and, and so my, my faith life was kind of arrested at that point uh, until until I went uh, to college, um, you know, and then, uh, and then when I was in college, you know, I, I didn't really have any connections to my faith other than the memory um, from years ago. Uh, but my, my, uh, uh, when I was a freshman in college, I remember being invited to a Bible study. Um, furthest thing from my mind but I really thought the, the young woman who invited me was cute. So I decided to go. Um, and, and, and so I went and, and really, you know, uh, there were several very cute young women there. And I thought to myself, this, I could do this. You know, this is a nice thing. I grew up Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the problem. This was not a Catholic group. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, so, 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 you know, uh, and, so you're and like, I, I'm I Catholic. I've never read the Bible. <laughs> it's all new. <laughs> I identified as a Catholic. And so the young woman next to me kind of leaned over to me and, 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 and she said, you know, Catholics can't be saved. And, uh, and I looked at her and now, granted, I haven't been to church, right? But I looked at her and I got up and I walked out. 
I don't know why I did that. That was that was not who I was. I was usually a people pleaser. I just wanted to go and I didn't want to create any issues or make waves. But I, but I was uncomfortable at that point and I walked out. And I probably uh, didn't go back into that group for about another year and a half, I would say. Um, but in that interim period, in that year and a half, even the students who met me literally for, for five minutes, every time they saw me on campus, they knew my name. Uh, not only did they know my name, but when I was in the, in the student center, they would buy me a cup of coffee. Wow. In those days, that was, the cup of coffee was the way to my heart. So, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I got to know these, these, uh, these students, you know, they became friends even though I wasn't part of their group. And so I, I figured there was something, there was something really special about them. Uh, so, so in my uh, second semester sophomore year, I started going back. Um, and, uh, and I really, uh, uh, something clicked. Uh, something about opening up scripture and the word of God really spoke to me. Um, and I, and I decided, uh, that I was going to read the whole Bible. So every night before I went to bed, I would read five chapters. I started wow. with Genesis, started with Genesis. And every night before I went to bed, I would read five chapters. Wow. Um, I can't remember how long it took me, but I remember that I wrote, I took notes in my Bible. I underlined, I, I did all kinds of stuff. Uh, I took all kinds of really neat notes. And, um, and then, uh, and then in, in truth, I, I, I uh, was invited to, to, you know, all the people in this group went to different churches. And uh, I got invited to this church called the Lord's House of Prayer. Uh, it met in the, in the second floor. I was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania at Franklin and Marshall College. And it met in like the attic or second floor of this converted barn. Um, so it was kind of cool. And the preacher the one who was leading the service was young. I'd say he was in his maybe late twenties. Um, and everybody in that room uh, was, was a young adult. And so I felt really, I've never experienced this kind of worship before. My kind of worship was young, was, was old women uh, mumbling and praying the rosary uh, or doing something that I didn't quite get. So, so I was drawn to this group of people. Um, and then, then uh, I heard uh, some things I'd never heard before. This was a, this was a, uh, a Pentecostal group, which I didn't even know what a Pentecostal group was. So, so they began, you know, speaking in tongues and, and doing all these things. And at that point, I just wanted to crawl under the pew and, uh, and, and, and get out of that place. Um, you know, that was my first experience. Uh, after that, I was, uh, I did go back. I went back probably for about, uh, I'd say, I'd say a good, uh, probably till my mid June, uh, uh, mid fall semester, junior year. Um, and I ended up actually being baptized in that church. Well, not in the church in, in a, in a river, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> yeah, it was full immersion. It was really kind of a <laughs> phenomenal experience. And then I had an experience of the pastor saying he's so grateful and so thankful to God that God got me out of the Catholic church. 
And I looked at him and I was kind of blown away and it never went back. Um, huh. And again, I, I didn't know why I was reacting in the way that I did. Uh, long story short, you guys, I, I, I went to different churches. Um, probably the longest period of time I had was, was uh, a CBA church, the Conservative Baptist of America. That was a bizarre church. Um, very much into 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 scripture, but belief in you know the inerrant fundamentalist approach to, of, of scripture interpretation, and uh, and I was baptized in that church, and you know I, again, in my life I have been baptized six times. Um, I wanted to ask that question. <laughs> so if I don't get in, none of y'all are getting in. I'm oh, telling you that hilarious. straight up. Uh, all different all different methods, from a river to a swimming pool. Um, you know, to a, a lake in Lancaster County, and and just just all kinds of odd experiences, and and every church that I joined felt like in order to be a member, I I really needed at some point to commit and be baptized, and almost inevitably, uh, you know, when when the idea of my being Catholic came up, I was, uh, you know, they they spoke about Catholics in such a disparaging way. Um, that I felt like I couldn't continue. My whole family was Catholic. All the kids I grew up with in, in Pennsylvania were Catholic, you know? Um, so so I, I, even though I didn't attend a Catholic church, I felt something in my heart uh, about that. So here, here I am, a campus minister who never went to Catholic mass in college. Uh, and that's kind of bizarre. I didn't even know, <laughs> it's a funny story. I never met the campus minister that was the that was the chaplain at my college until about 10 years after I graduated. I met him at a Catholic campus ministers conference. Wow. Uh, and and when he told me, you know, uh, where he was, I started laughing. I said, I went to that school. Um, and I said, when, when did you start there? And of course, he was there when I was there. <laughs> I didn't know who this guy was. <laughs> so. So I met him finally. <laughs> so, so in this long journey in college, you know, I was, I was faithful to reading scripture, uh, faithful to, to meeting with this group of students, um, you know, and, 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 uh, and, uh, and also, you know, faithful to worship in some way, shape or form, but not to the Catholic church. So when I was time to graduate and I was leaving, uh, to go to, um, uh, you know, I was thinking about graduate school, uh, and I was also thinking about seminary, um, not Catholic, <laughs> you know, but I felt called uh, to, to be a minister. Um, and, and, and in my understanding, there was, there was no, uh, um, there was no avenue for, uh, a, you know, a non-ordained ministry in the Catholic church. Uh, so, so I applied to some seminaries, uh, and then, and then I, I had a, a conversation with my spiritual director, who was a United Church of Christ minister. And, and he says, John, you really need to know what it is you're leaving before you leave it. Hmm. And he was talking about my Catholic faith. He was talking about my, my, my upbringing. And so he said, he said here's, a, uh, here's a book that was just published um, by a guy named Richard McBrien. Um, 
and the book was the double volume series called Catholicism, right? So he said, you should take a look at this. And, and I did, and I was, I was uh, uh, intrigued. And then he said, well, this guy, you know, is teaching at Boston. Um, and so I applied to graduate school. And in the midst of my applying to graduate school, Richard McBrien, Father Richard McBrien, moved to the University of Notre Dame. So, so I, I, I got in my, this was already uh, near the end of April. So I got into my car and I drove out to the University of Notre Dame and I sat in their graduate admissions office and filled out an application in the office because it was the last day they were accepting applications for graduate school. Wow. <laughs> so bizarre. Uh, and so I got into grad school because I wanted to study with this guy, uh, yeah. with Richard McBrien. Um, and, uh, and, and Notre Dame was, was uh, kind of a turning point for me um, because I was invited to this group called the People of Praise. And uh, it was the same kind of experience I had with the Lord's House of Prayer. I walked into this group and it was all young people and it was the Catholic charismatic movement. And what I loved about the movement uh, was that it had, it had kind of one foot in the church and one foot in, in scripture, serious scripture study uh, for, for lay people. And so um, I, the year I spent, the years I spent there in grad school, uh, I was very much a part of that of that experience. Uh, I did, I did uh, have a class with uh, Father McBrien uh, and, and, uh, and he was not a good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a great author. I actually was the, the, I was elected the master's student representative on the, on the uh, theology, uh, graduate theology council. And, um, and so I actually got to meet him in committee and he was not a, not a kind man. <laughs> you know, he's a little cold, a little distant, um, you know, and so, so, some, 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 uh, uh, some of my dreams were shattered, but at the same time I had a, I had a great experience uh, in graduate school at the University of Notre Dame. Um, and, and, you know, looking back, I see God's hand in a lot of this. I mean, I was, um, the 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 day that I took my master's comprehensive uh, finals, and in those days it was uh, uh, a significant uh, written portion followed by an oral um, defense of, of of a thesis. Uh, and um, long story short, you know, uh, I I was on a break between the written and the oral uh, part of the test, and. Uh, and I saw a notice up on the on the graduate theology bulletin board that said this person was interviewing candidates for uh, youth ministry positions in Miami, Florida. Hmm. I was a young guy. I heard about the fishing in Miami. I was excited <laughs> about it. So, so actually, for my lunch break, I I, I grabbed a couple of packs of uh, peanut butter crackers and, and a, a, a cup of coffee and I went down to the lunchroom and I had an interview with oh, this wow. uh, with this woman with this woman and uh, and then I went up and I, I did my my oral uh, uh, my oral exam and and 
and uh, then at the end of the oral exam, I walked out and she was standing there and she said, you know, I want to invite you down for an interview uh, to Miami. Um, and so I got really excited and, and one of the faculty members that was part of the oral exam came out and told me I had passed. So I was actually the first person to pass oh, in job. scripture uh, uh, the first time I took it. Uh, oh. You know, so I, I didn't really expect to, to, to get through all that. But anyway, that was one day. Oh, wow. uh, and then, of course, the next week I, I, I went down and uh, interviewed in, in Miami and, um, and I, I got the job as a youth minister. So, so that August, I drove down to Miami, Florida with everything I owned in a little Ford Escort. Um, most of the room was taken by my two speakers. In those days, you didn't have like the little tiny speakers you have now. So my speakers were about four feet high by, by a foot and a half wide by a foot and a half deep. They were big. They wow. were infinity, the big infinity speakers. Uh, and, and they were, they were awesome. Uh, <laughs> I had them, my, my stereo and my, my record albums and one duffel bag of clothes, <laughs> most of which were flannel shirts from Miami, Florida. I got to tell you. That's so, hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So when I got to Miami, I, I, uh, I didn't have a place to stay. So I stayed in the rectory. Uh, for about six weeks before I found a place, and uh, and uh, it was it was an, another eye-opening experience for me. Um, and uh, and oh, uh, so I, I drove when I when I got into Miami, I drove into the parking lot of the church just to kind of look around because I was going to stay in a hotel for a night before I showed up because it was already like midnight when I pulled in. But I pulled in uh, knowing this is the place I'm going to be a youth minister, and. Um, and there were a whole bunch of kids in the parking lot drinking. <laughs> <So> <laughs> my first introduction <laughs> to my youth group. <laughs> and then, of course, the next day when I got into my office and kids kept coming in and coming in and, 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 and putting money in the, in the soda machine. Then I find out they stocked the soda machine with beer. <laughs> <laughs> this was my, my baptism into, uh, into ministry. Oh, Okay. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite an experience. Um, when I would when I was invited to homes, I would I would look for where the air conditioning vent was and stand underneath it. Um, this this went on for months because <laughs> I couldn't just I just couldn't deal with the heat down there. Uh, but things things worked out when I when I was in Miami. Um, by the end of my third year, I had a very very large youth group, uh, and and it sounds crazy now but you know as a 24 25 year old kid I was taking 250 high school students uh, on on a weekend retreat uh, wow. at a YMCA camp um, I had I had 50 adult leaders uh, wow I, I would bring a crew of 20 college students just to stay up all night and walk around so that the rest of us could sleep <laughs> <laughs> It was uh, it was a huge operation. Um, it was a big church, uh, very social justice oriented church. I, I would I would say that 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 the three years that I spent as a youth minister there were the were the most anointed time in my ministry life. Um, you know, 
always, you know, I, I lived and breathed, you know, this, this, uh, uh, um, the life of, of, a, of a, a minister, but I have to say I was probably, uh, I didn't have a balance in my life at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, because when I would come home from work, I lived with two guys who were also two of my, my adult leaders. Um, we had a little apartment and we would have uh, Bible studies at night um, at, at my house. And, and, uh, and in fact, my neighbors started complaining because there sometimes were 30 cars parked <laughs> outside, you know, uh, uh, and we, and, and they couldn't get in or out of, of, of their own spaces. And, and so it just, it got, it got, uh, it got crazy. Anyway, uh, long story short, I, I left that that uh, that job to work for the diocese, and I, I I became the coordinator of English speaking youth ministry for the Archdiocese of Miami, because I thought whatever was happening down there at this parish, um, you know, could also happen in all these other parishes. Yeah, I was wrong, <laughs> and it was youthful exuberance. Uh, I, I think the recipe for something like that needs to be that you have a very supportive, uh, empowering uh, pastoral team uh, and parishioners who are 100% behind you, which yeah. is what I had in that parish. Um, and, and it just didn't, I didn't see it anywhere. Um, after two years with the archdiocese, uh, I was offered uh, the first um, I was offered the position of, of the director of the Catholic Student Center for the University of Miami. Uh, and that was a, 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 the first time that they had a Catholic Student Center at the University of Miami. Uh, so I took, that, I took that position and stayed there uh, for about another nine years. Um, loved, loved working uh, at the University of Miami. And the only reason that, that, uh, that we left there really was uh, Hurricane Andrew. Um, you know, and I, I, I uh, um, it, the, it was a different changed place after that. But the, the blessings of being at the University of Miami is where I met my, my wife. Um, and and uh, our first two children were born there. Uh, I, met, I met my wife at, at a, a, a coffee house I used to run. I ran a coffee house there every Friday night and we'd fill the place. We had a big stage you know, and, and we would have probably seating for about 200. Um, and every Friday night, I would book one uh, act, book one musician, and then we'd have open mic. Uh, and, and she was one of the acts that I booked for that night because she was, she was a, a reputed kind of jazz uh, uh, guitarist and singer. And so I was kind of excited about it. And, and the f funny story is that that's, that's the night two things happened. One is, uh, you know, I would, I would brew these two huge hundred cup things of coffee. Uh, <laughs> I forgot to put the coffee in. <laughs> I remember you telling me this. <laughs> so I had, I had st two student interns. I sent them to the, to the grocery store to get those, those little uh, flavored coffee tin things. I can't remember what you call them. Uh, so they got like 50 of those and, and so people could, they had hot water and they just put that stuff in it. <laughs> but the second thing, second thing was uh, when, when uh, the woman who was become my wife, when Chris was up singing uh, on the stage, 
there was not a seat left in the house. So I was sitting on top of a table against the wall with one of my student interns uh, named John Amat. And John, I, I turned to John, you know, jokingly, and I said, now that's the kind of woman I want to marry. Wow. And so we were laughing. And then I said, and John, listen, when she's done, you get up and make yourself busy so that she comes down and sits next to me. I was joking. He did. And she did. <laughs> she <came> down, <laughs> sat down next to me. And, and then uh, through the course of the evening, I, I actually invited her to do music on a retreat that we were doing the following weekend for Valentine's weekend. And, uh, and she said, yes. And then after, after the retreat, uh, when I walked her back out to her car, I, I asked her to lunch. Um, actually, it was a longer story than that, but I ended up taking her to lunch the next day. Um, and, uh, and that was it. I used to take, I used to take all my first dates to the same place for lunch, just in <laughs> case anything happened. And I'll ne I would never forget where that place was. Well, yeah, of course I remember where I took you to lunch the first day, <laughs> our first date. <laughs> it was at Fiddles. <laughs> I, I was, uh, 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 yeah, yeah, that was me. <laughs> I haven't changed much. Hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, our first two kids were born there after the hurricane uh, that 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 hit uh, in in uh, 1993, 92. Um, we 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 had a bunch of kids laying on the floor in our house because that was orientation weekend at the University of Miami when the hurricane came, and a bunch of RAs uh, were were on the floor in my home, and. Um, it was just an incredible experience all the way around. Uh, I finished out that year, uh, took a job at, a, at Ursuline College here in Cleveland uh, for two and a half years. Um, not a great match for me. Uh, so I left there and I went to Southern Illinois University um, where I directed a Newman Center for eight and a half years. And then I came to John Carroll in, uh, in 2003. Um, so it's, it's been a whirlwind uh, of a time, and I just compressed the last, you know, 30 years <laughs> into three, four sentences. Uh, but through the whole, through the whole period, I think the consistent, consistent draw for me in ministry has always been, you know, the feeling that I am so privileged uh, to be able to work with students who are making, who are at a time in their life where they make decisions that last the rest of their lives. Hmm. Um, and to be a part of that, to be a part of that conversation, uh, you know, and and to be um, um, uh, numbered among their sphere of influence, I think, has really kept me young, um, uh, and and kept me more or less fresh as as I, I've gone through the years. Uh, and also, the second thing would be my love for scripture has has, has never waned. Um, so I always feel drawn, called back to that, you know, and, and Ignatian, the spiritual exercise is so, so focused on the Gospels, uh, so focused on scripture, um, you know, that, that I took to it, I think, very naturally. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, with a, with a sense of excitement. Uh, when I came to John Carroll and I came to Ignatian spirituality, it was almost like a coming home. Because my first experience of Ignatian spirituality was when I took the job here as the director, um, which yeah. which is which is kind of funny, uh, you know. Because I think if I was applying for a job, I wouldn't have hired me. <laughs> 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 you 
you know, I would have said, what, you know, you haven't been you to any Jesuit know. places. What do you know? Uh, yeah. You know, but, but, uh, but yeah. So that was, uh, that, listen, that, that's, that's it in a, in a nutshell. And I've taken up a lot of time. It's okay. So, we definitely have to do a, uh, an episode continued. <laughs> yeah, okay with it. Yeah. I have so many more questions because we have the hard yeah, stop. Yeah, right. If you kept talking. <laughs> we have a hard stop, I think, at three, right, John? Yes. So we have yeah. like just a few more minutes, but seven minutes, yeah. Yeah. Can we can I ask another question and Please. then um we do a round two or maybe a round three too? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh my question is um what what do you think it was about scripture that that kept you coming back to it from all those years and all those transitions like you kept you, you felt like this pull and it just like that that like that initial that initial um interest in scripture that you were talking about how that like got you to read the entire bible five chapters a night what <laughs> what is it about scripture that you think keeps you coming back well for first of all it's it's uh it's it's something that's captivated the world for that for over two thousand years. And if you if you talk about Judaism, you know let's let's attack another at least five hundred years onto that. Um, you know, so it, so it it was the spiritual go to for so many people for say twenty five hundred years. Uh, the other the other thing that kind of drew me to it, you know, I, my mind I'm an empirical thinker. All right. Uh, I come from a family of science-oriented folks, and and as an undergrad, I mean, biochemistry was was my focus uh, area, and and so it wasn't uh, it wasn't okay for me to 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 take the kind of fundamentalist approach um, that throws throws science out the window. So so you know, I read a, I read a book by Megan McKenna, who became one of my favorite scripture scholars and storytellers. And uh, she begins by saying that she has four rules of scripture. You know, uh, the first rule is that all the stories in the Bible are true. The second rule is that some of them actually happened. Yep. You know, the, th the third is that, that, that they're all about you. Mm. And the fourth is they all expressed a universal truth. Wow. And there's something beautiful about that. You know, of course, the first rule just sets you kind of on edge a little bit and but the second rule takes the sting away, you know, yeah. and puts a smile on your face every time. Yeah. Some of them actually happened, you know. It's kind of like, you know, when we tell stories about, uh, you know, Davy Crockett or Johnny Appleseed, you know, they're filled with myth and legend uh, to, to, uh, to, to define, you know, some, some truth that we want to get across, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, scripture scripture there's always a deeper meaning i think uh than what is on the surface um and so that that's that's what drew me uh and still draws to me um megan mccann also says that you know when there when there's there's two possible interpretations of a scripture usually the the truer one is the one that's more difficult for you to accept. So, <laughs> oh my! More challenging one, she said. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, I I I, I glom onto those things. I think I think uh, she was very prophetic uh, in her in her outlook. Um, oh know. good. 
got like four more minutes left. What, okay. just really briefly, what are you learning from scripture these days? Uh, I, I think I'm still learning, um, you know, one of the big lessons that I, that, that I've kind of taken, uh, lately is, is not, not to carry, um, stress and anxiety and hardship with you as you move along. It's so easy right now in the midst of everything that's going on in our world, in our country, at our school, on our staff, you know, mm -hmm. it's so easy. It's so easy to walk into the next conversation with, uh, with a heaviness, you know, um, you know, and, and I was, I was uh, going through, I was reading the scriptures where, where Jesus sends his disciples out two by two and, and he says, you know, when, when you're not, when you're met, the message, the gospel message is not accepted, you know, when you leave that place, shake the dust from your sandals. You know? And the idea of shaking that dust off is really important because it helps you walk into the next encounter without the baggage. Um, and so, so to learn to do that is not something you do immediately, but something that takes a while. And so, so what does it mean to, to shed the baggage, to shake the dust off your sandals, uh, to move on to the next encounter? Um, you know, and if we are purveyors of the gospel message, uh, you know, and, and the gospel message in its simplest, simplest form is that God loves you. Hmm. You know, uh, if we are to be purveyors of that message, how can we, how can we give the message effectively? with all that baggage, you know? So, yeah, that's where I am with that. That's, that's a pretty heavy duty. Yeah, it's a heavy duty lesson right now, <laughs> isn't it? Um, Don, I love what you said about connecting with prayer through music. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that, does that still resonate with you? It uh, does, it does, you know, and so, so as a youth minister, you know, I thought it was a prerequisite that every youth minister has to learn how to play the guitar. So, so I, I, I taught myself how to do it. Guilty. <laughs> so I, bought, I went out and bought Mel's book of chords because Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet. So I had no idea. There's no website to go to. So Mel Bay's book of chords, who showed you where you put your fingers. And, mm -hmm. and I practiced and practiced. And, uh, and, and, uh, and it was a, a, an effective means of prayer for me um, because I, I, played at a lot of prayer groups. I played, you know, uh, I met my wife when she was playing music. She and I did some coffee houses together in our younger days. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I just, I, f I still feel, even today, uh, we're, we're, you know, going through my albums at home over the weekend, believe it or not. <laughs> and, uh, and just reminiscing about some of these some of these older albums that really struck gold for me and uh and helped me um music music helps you uh come to terms with what it is you're feeling uh it takes your feelings and it either it either exaggerates them uh you know exalts them or heals them um you know and and so i think i think music is uh in in my heart um you know I think most young people today would say the same thing. Music is a big part of their life. You know, you can't take that away. So. All right. Well, thank you. Um,
to be continued. I hope that we can hop on for a second episode sometime in the next week or so. Uh, if you have any, if you have any questions for John, and you're listening to this podcast, uh, shoot us an email or contact us on Instagram, whatever you can, and then we will we'll ask him your funny or serious questions. <laughs> but thank you for a great first episode, everyone. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye, See you, everybody. Folks.